It's Tuesday, August 27th. Welcome to Skim This. We're breaking down the most complex stories of the day and giving you the context on why they matter. Today, we're diving into the opioid crisis after a judge in Oklahoma fined Johnson & Johnson hundreds of millions of dollars for its role. We'll connect the dots on what the ruling means and what's next for similar cases. Then, disgraced financier Jeffrey Epstein may have died, but his accusers got their day in court. We'll explain why. And finally, scientists are trying to bring northern white rhinos back from the brink of extinction. We're here to make your evening smarter. Let's skim this. The most complicated story today is about opioids and the result of the first-ever trial of a drug manufacturer for its role in the opioid crisis. Yesterday, a judge in Oklahoma ruled that Johnson & Johnson has to fork over $572 million to the state for how they influence the opioid epidemic. That might seem like a lot, and don't get us wrong, it is, but it's pocket change compared to the $17 billion the state was trying to get. J&J says they're going to appeal the ruling, but this ruling is about way more than just one company. So today we're going to get into why this lawsuit was brought to trial to begin with, the key details of yesterday's decision, and what precedent it could set going forward. First, a quick refresher. The opioid epidemic has gotten a lot of attention in the last few years, and for good reason. More than 130 people die every day from opioid overdoses. Drug overdose is the leading cause of accidental death in the U.S., and opioid overdoses specifically are the most common of those deaths. And when we say accidental, we really mean accidental. Most people don't set out to become addicted to these medications, let alone overdose. Opioids used to be mainly prescribed to cancer patients and people recovering from surgery. But in the 90s, more and more doctors started prescribing them for common pain relief, like from injuries and arthritis. But these drugs can become super addictive if people aren't careful, and addiction can turn deadly. Oklahoma says opioid manufacturers like J&J haven't been careful, that they're not telling doctors and consumers how dangerous these drugs are in their marketing campaigns. In Oklahoma alone, the state's attorney general said that between 2015 and 2018, doctors wrote 18 million opioid prescriptions. For context, Oklahoma's population is around 4 million people. In 2017, almost 400 people in the state died from opioid-related causes. So the state sued three big drug manufacturers, including J&J. Two others, Purdue Pharma and Teva Pharmaceuticals, settled out of court without admitting any wrongdoing. But Johnson & Johnson decided to stick it out, and things ended up in court. J&J said their opioids make up less than 1% of the market in Oklahoma, and that the crisis isn't their fault. But yesterday, a judge said, nope, you're wrong. He sided with Oklahoma's state attorney general and ruled that J&J had broken the state's public nuisance law. It's not like J&J is in trouble for having a loud party. Public nuisance lawsuits are often filed against big companies for interfering in the enjoyment of public property, like polluting a river or blocking a public road. But Oklahoma's public nuisance laws are pretty broad and can cover anything that makes someone insecure in life. Yes, that's the word in the law, insecure. In this case, it means not able to enjoy the use of public property. Here's Oklahoma's Attorney General Mike Hunter after yesterday's ruling. 
We showed how the company repeatedly ignored warnings by the federal government and its own scientific advisors about the dangers of its drugs and the risks of marketing its products in the way it did. But an attorney for Johnson & Johnson, Sabrina Strong, said the judge's decision is flawed. We have sympathy for all who suffer from substance abuse. But Johnson & Johnson did not cause the opioid abuse crisis here in Oklahoma or anywhere in this country. So, like we said, J&J is going to appeal the decision. But regardless of the outcome there, this isn't the end of legal arguments. So what happens next? Right now, there are around 2,000 opioid lawsuits being brought by states, towns, and tribal governments around the U.S. against a bunch of drug manufacturers. And to make things simpler, a lot of those lawsuits have been bundled up by the federal government. The first federal trial stemming from that bundle will begin on October 21st in Ohio. The federal judge in that case is pushing for more out-of-court settlements. NBC News reported this afternoon that Purdue Pharma is offering 10 to $12 billion to settle those 2,000 suits. But of course, these trials aren't a cure-all to the problem. They're just a way to help communities cope with the pain. To prevent more pain in the future, some states have created databases to track how many drugs patients are being prescribed. So doctors can be more careful about who they're writing prescriptions for. Big picture, President Trump declared the opioid crisis a public health emergency two years ago. And last October, the administration said it had $6 billion on hand to fight opioid addiction over a two-year period. But some people say the president still isn't doing enough. They say his last budget proposal didn't set aside enough money to fight the problem. While others blame the White House for treating the opioid crisis like a short-term problem instead of a chronic issue. So what's the skim? When it comes to the Oklahoma case, if Johnson & Johnson doesn't win its appeal and any other appeals after that, it'll have to pay the $572 million but they could take this case all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court before that happens. The judge says that if Oklahoma does get the money, it can be used to pay for a year's worth of opioid prevention programs and addiction treatment in the state. Yes, that's how much the state estimated it would need for just one year of services, in just that one state. Like we said, compared to the 17 billion the state asked for, it's not a lot of money. Certainly smaller than J&J might have expected. After yesterday's ruling, J&J's shares actually rose more than 5%. But this ruling could have wider implications beyond opioid addiction. Some people are saying that the same public nuisance arguments made in the Oklahoma opioid case could be made against gun manufacturers. They say the outcomes of gun violence and opioid overdoses aren't too different. Today, over a dozen alleged victims of financier Jeffrey Epstein got their day in court. Epstein was arrested in July and charged with sex trafficking dozens of underage girls between 2002 and 2005. He pleaded not guilty and faced up to 45 years in prison if convicted. But earlier this month, while awaiting trial, Epstein died by what was ruled a suicide in his Manhattan jail cell. 
With Epstein dead, prosecutors asked a judge in Manhattan to formally drop the charges against him. Judge Richard Berman still has to give the okay, but he thought Epstein's accusers still deserved a chance to share their stories in a public hearing. So, what happened in the courtroom? One by one, alleged victims of Epstein took the mic to share their stories. No cameras were allowed in the room, but one woman, Courtney Wilde, reportedly described how she felt angry and sad that justice had never been served. Outside the court, another alleged Epstein victim, Jennifer Arose, said having the chance to speak in court provided her some closure. It was so powerful in there hearing all the other victims and um, very similar stories that I have uh, endured. I wanted to thank the judge for letting us speak, um, having some closure. But moving forward, there are ways Epstein's victims could still get justice. One, if prosecutors look into Epstein's alleged co-conspirators. Prosecutors claimed in the July indictment that three of his employees recruited and paid off young girls for sexual encounters with Epstein. At today's hearing, a federal prosecutor made it clear that even though they planned to drop the charges against Epstein, other investigations into his associates slash co-conspirators could continue, and new cases could even be brought in the future. Multiple women are also seeking justice by suing Epstein's estate and more could join them. That said, one of Epstein's final acts could make it difficult for his victims to receive financial settlements from his estate. Just two days before his suicide, Epstein signed a will that shifted nearly $600 million worth of assets into a trust fund. That move could make it difficult to figure out where that money is even going. In the meantime, federal investigators have also said they're looking into the circumstances of Epstein's death, and that might not be the only federal probe. Today, a Florida congresswoman called for Congress to start its own investigation into Epstein's 2008 plea deal, the one that put him in jail for only 13 months. So we're still waiting on a lot of info here. And with so many powerful people connected to Epstein, this story's not likely to go away anytime soon. There's been a solid win for brides-to-be in Bangladesh. Since 1961, women in Bangladesh getting married have had to inform the government whether or not they're a virgin. Literally, it's part of the certificate they have to fill out. The options are widow, divorced, or virgin. And on Sunday, Bangladesh's high court ruled that on marriage certificates, the word virgin may now be replaced with unmarried. Virginity is still culturally significant in many areas of Bangladesh, which also has one of the highest rates of child marriage in the world. But for years, women's rights groups have argued in court that forcing a woman to say whether or not she was a virgin before she gets married is both humiliating and discriminatory. But that's not the only change. Previously, men in Bangladesh didn't have to declare any kind of status. But now with another new ruling, Grooms will also have to state whether they are unmarried, divorced, or a widower. The complete changes will be published in October, which is also when the new rules are set to take place. But women's empowerment in the country still has a long way to go. Before we go today, we've got a fun fact coming to you from Kenya where scientists are fighting to save the northern white rhino from extinction. 
Northern white rhinos have basically been made extinct by poachers who wanted to sell their horns and loggers and farmers destroying their habitat. The very last male named Sudan died last year, and he left behind his daughter and granddaughter, Najin and Fatou, the last two remaining females. But on Sunday, researchers managed to fertilize seven of their eggs with frozen sperm from two dead males. It'll take a little over a week to determine whether those fertilized eggs will become embryos. If they do, scientists will still have to find a surrogate. Najin and Fatou are too sick to carry to term. But it'll mean scientists are one step closer to saving the northern white rhino from extinction. And that's all for Skim This. Thanks for listening and make sure you subscribe and leave a review. For more Skim, you can check out our premium content by downloading our app or get our free morning newsletter by subscribing at theskim.com. It's everything you need to know to start your day right in your inbox. 